Hey guys, welcome to our online campus. Whether you're joining us through YouTube or our podcast, we're really glad that you're here today. Let's tune into today's message here at Higher Vision. Enjoy. going to um, dive into This Is Us, part three. We've been talking about this TV program called This Is Us, and when you watch it, um, you watch this family that's got all these complicated issues, joys, sorrows, challenges, and when you watch them, you go, man, that is us. That's our family. As I was reading through the book of Corinthians, I kept thinking, gosh, this is us. This is the church in America. And so, what we've done is, is Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth that he had planted after he had went on to plant other churches, and he kept giving them instruction, encouragement. And he began to say to them, listen, there's some things about the world that is influencing the church. In fact, let me tell you some stuff about the city of Corinth. Here's a description of the city of Corinth. It was prosperous. I mean, you know, in America right now, our economy is booming on a level it hasn't done in many, many years. We're a prosperous nation. I mean, say amen to that. This is us. They were prideful. They were obsessed with sex. Last week we talked about sexual immorality. If you missed it, you can go online and watch it. They were struggling with drugs and alcohol, abuse, substance abuse. They were sports crazed. Come on, do we have any Dodger fans in the house? See, this is us. They were body conscious. There was high, I mean, high divorce rates. And the one we're going to talk about today is they were a Sue happy culture. You know, it's interesting. You may not know it, but we're like the city of Corinth. In America, did you know that in America today, 70% of the lawyers in the entire world practice in America? Come on, think about that. 70% of all lawyers around the world live right here in America and practice right here in America. 40 million lawsuits will be filed this year. You can sue anybody for anything. Crazy lawsuits, things that you think don't even make sense. I just heard a story about a man who tried to commit suicide by jumping in front of a subway train in New York. His attempt at suicide failed, and he lived, but he was hurt, and he sued the city for one of their subways hitting them, and he won $650,000 because we live in a crazy world. We live in a world where it's all about what can I get, and so Paul talks about this spirit, this mentality And I want to talk to you about it, and we're going to focus in on two points. So hang in there with me. Now, if you're a lawyer, I want you to know I'm not bagging on lawyers today. I love lawyers. We have some great lawyers in our church that are incredible. They help people. They do an amazing job to bring justice. But I want to talk to you about the spirit of the culture. We're going to talk about conflict and how to resolve it. So let's read what what the scripture teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. It says, "When um, when one of you has a dispute with another believer... How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? You should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide issues? But instead, one believer sues another one right in front of unbelievers. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat, even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who indulge in sexual sin, but not just sexual sin, 
Those who are thieves. In other words, you're taking something that's not yours. That's where we've moved in culture now with lawsuits. It's not like, um, should I sue uh, because there was an injustice? It's more of whether I'm guilty or not, whether I'm responsible or not, can I make money on this? And when you take something from someone that's really not yours, when you have the spirit of greed, he says, listen, thieves and greedy people and people who cheat, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we read this, there's a couple things that Paul's trying to teach us. So I want to do this today. I want you just to close your eyes and let's go a quick prayer. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we know that you have some things you want to say today. So instead of putting up a wall, we open the door and we say, speak to us. Lord, we're ready to hear what the word has to say. Not the culture, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit of God. So say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me in Jesus' name. And everybody shout it. Amen. Amen. Now let me say, this is not telling us that it's, there are not appropriate times to have a lawsuit, to go to court. When there's injustice, there's appropriate times for that. It's not even telling us that if you're a Christian, you can't sue somebody. It's not what it's teaching us. But, but there are two things that it points out, and I'm only going to focus on the second thing, but let me point out the first thing. The first thing is this, is that Paul is saying that there's a spirit of greed, and people are trying to, to get something, and they're consumed with, with what can I get? How can I, you know, think back in the day, if you were 30 years ago, if you were on the street and you happened to get a little too close to the street, and maybe a car came zooming by kind of close to the street and maybe got close or, you know, nipped you just a little bit or something, what would you do? You'd be like, whoa, and you'd be like, thank God I'm okay. Now, you know what we think? Hey, wait a minute, what's your license plate? I can sue them. In other words, what can I get? Whether I deserve it or not, and there's this spirit of greed. And Paul says, be careful of greed. Because if you're a person who gets caught up in that idea, it's not just that you're going to live a life of greed and live below my best for you in this world. You're going to miss the next. So he says, be careful of greed. The second thing that he deals with in this passage, and this is what we're going to focus on today, and that is this. He says, Christians need to learn how to deal with conflict in the right way. He says, you can't even resolve little disputes. He says, this shouldn't be. So what I want to do today, let me just say, you and I as Christians need to learn how to deal with conflict. You know why? Because you really won't live a happy life if you're always in conflict. But the problem is nobody teaches on it. We don't learn it in school. Most of the time in homes, we don't really learn unless one of our little kids hits another little kid. I mean, that's about the, the most they get. We don't teach it in college. And so Let's hear what the Bible has to say, because God wants to teach us how to learn to live in peace and how to resolve conflict. How many of you have ever had conflict? All right. So we're going to learn to deal with conflict, and I'm going to give you eight principles. I'm going to put on my teaching hat today, or I'm not going to get my preach on. I'm going to get my teach on. All right. So you need to help me. You need to follow along because I'm going to tell you this teaching, listen to me, this teaching will change your life. If you apply this, it'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your life. So what does the Bible say about conflict? Number one, write this down. Make the first move. Make the first move. I want to read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, he's, he's teaching us and he tells us, if you're offering your gift at the altar, 
So you're here, you're worshiping, you're giving in the, in the offering, and you remember that one of your brothers or sisters have something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to that person and then come. Notice, here's what he says. Make the first move. Now, let, let, me, let me give you a couple thoughts. Leave this verse up for a second. When I read this verse, the first thing that I notice, and I just, I can't help myself. I got to throw it out there. It says, if you're giving an offering and you remember, leave the offering here. Just throwing that in, in case you didn't notice, see that. So leave the offering here. That was the first thing. But here's basically what this story says. And the guys, I want you to leave this verse on the screen until I'm done. I'll come back to it. But basically, here's what the scripture says. And it's, 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 it's addressing the lie that's out there in the culture. You know what the lie in the culture is? Time heals all wounds. Time will take care of it. But how many know that time doesn't heal all wounds? How many know if you get cancer, more time doesn't help you unless you treat the cancer? Because the more time that goes by, the cancer will spread. Time doesn't heal all wounds. In fact, here's the bottom line. Conflict doesn't resolve itself. So what he says is don't just wait and hope that things change. Don't wait for them to come to you. Make the first move. That's what Jesus says. The second thing I notice when I read this is, and not only does it say make the first move, but it says, if you are offended or if someone is offended by you. In other words, don't just go, well, I got hurt, so I realized I need to deal with this thing. No, even if you've hurt someone else, even if someone has a problem with you, what does Jesus say? Face it. Make the first move. And here's why. Because God doesn't want you to live with unresolved conflict. You see, unresolved conflict, it's going to do some things in your life that you may not know about. Let me show you three things that unresolved conflict will do. Number one, unresolved conflict will block my fellowship with God. It'll block my fellowship with God. Remember the passage which is found in 1 John 4, 12? And here's where, 4 John, 1 John 4, 20, it says this. It says, how can you say that you love God who you can't see if you can't love your brother who you do see? In other words, if you look at scriptures, your level of intimacy with God will be influenced if you can't walk out of unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict is going to influence your relationship. It'll block intimacy, fellowship with God. Here's the second thing. Uh, my unresolved conflict blocks my prayers. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, it tells us this. It says that when there's a husband and a wife and there's issues, if the husband doesn't respect the wife, if they don't learn how to deal these, con- you know, work through these conflicts, he says you need to take care of it or your prayers will be hindered. So it blocks our prayers. The effectiveness of our prayer life. You see, God doesn't want you to live with unresolved conflict. So he says, make the first move. You know, the last thing is that it blocks my happiness. People that have conflict, they're always frustrated. They're upset. That person comes up, they're upset. And here's what's interesting. is James chapter 3, verse 18 tells us this. It says, plant seeds of peace and you'll reap seeds of happiness. So the point is, is Jesus is teaching us, listen, when it comes to conflict, Time doesn't heal all wounds. It won't resolve itself. You need to make the first move. 
Now, can I just stop real quick and, and just say, as we get through this, you're going to find different places that, that you'll identify with. And let me say one thing. Sometimes you can try to bring conflict resolution, and if people choose not to do it, you, only, you can only do what you can do. But if you sit back the rest of your life waiting for them to resolve it, you're missing out on what God's called you to, a better life, a life with no regrets. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So make the first move. Point number two, write this down. Plan a peace conference. Plan a peace conference. What do you mean? Well, I love what the scripture teaches us in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It says this, the wise heart will know the proper what? the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. You see, what this is telling us is that when it comes to dealing with the situation, wise people know it's not just how you do it, it's when you do it. I mean, if you're having, you know, conflict with your spouse and you need to resolve it, whether it's the husband or wife and maybe they're coming home from work or you're coming home from work and when you get home or they get home, they come walking in and they've got the kids that they picked up from, you know, the after school care and they're carrying some groceries that they, were, they stopped to pick up on the way and groceries are falling out of the bags and the kids are screaming and running around. It's probably not a time to talk about your conflict. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Or maybe laying in bed at night right before you go to sleep. Is not a good time because you start the conversation and after the question, all you hear is. In fact, maybe it's better to leave the bedroom for other things. Come on, somebody say amen. Make the first move. Plan a peace conference. Pray and say, God, give me an opening. Give me a time that the door is open for me to be able to deal with this issue. Let me give you the third one. Y'all still with me? Say amen. The third one is this, begin the conversation with what's my fault. Now, I know where some of you are going with this. Immediately, you're thinking, but it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. But I love this, this passage in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, and it says this, pride leads to what? Conflict. Conflict. Let me just start by saying this. It might be 99% your fault, but I promise you, if you look hard enough, you will find at least something that you can say you could have done different. Maybe you could have not dismissed what they brought to you so quickly. Maybe you could have chosen not to look down at them in the conversation. Always begin with the idea that I'm not going to come with pride, because here's what pride does. Pride is about us. It's about elevating us. And when we elevate us, it puts everybody beneath us. And that's a difficult position to have a conversation. Pride often is a result of a blind spot. What is a blind spot? It's when you can't see something. The point is, you can't see something, because it's a blind spot. And so what the scripture teaches is, in fact, Jesus talks about this. I mentioned this verse a few weeks ago. He was in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm going to just take a little sidestep here and say I love the way Jesus, he taught. He was a great teacher. And not only was he a great teacher, he was funny. He had a little bit of stand-up. He had a little bit of comedy that went into his messages. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is filled with one-liners. The problem is, is we just don't understand the comedy and the humor of the day. 
Because back in the day, the way the Jewish humor worked, they, they did humor, and it was humor by exaggeration. So they would exaggerate stuff, right? So Jesus was talking about conflict, and he threw in a laugh line. He threw in a one-liner, and he's talking about conflict. And he said, listen, when you have conflict, here's what you do. Don't look at the person and the speck of dust in their eye, but instead realize that you've got a beam sticking out of your eye. And they're like, ha! <laughs> that was funny, Jesus. He was funny. He did it the whole sermon. I mean, he was making jokes the whole time. He's like, oh, you, want, you, you know how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven? It's like for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Ah! <laughs> That's crazy. You should be on the improv. It's, it's great. You should have an HBO special. In other words, he's making jokes, but at the same time, he was bringing truth. And the truth was this. What's the point? When you're in a moment of conflict... Start with you. I come to the conversation with, what's my fault? What did I do? What could I have done better? How can things change? So you make the first move. You plan a peace conference, and then you start with what's your fault. In fact, I'm going to give you a sentence right now, and if you'll take this sentence and you'll apply it to your life in your conversations of conflict, I promise you it'll be a game changer. You ready? Here's what it is. You should write it down. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Some of you are thinking of yourself right now and how you're going to say that and how it's going to work out. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Let's learn the next one. Y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. Come on, how many know we need to hear the truth sometimes? So then he said, the next idea in Scripture is listen for their heart and perspective. Listen for their heart and perspective. There's a Scripture we're going to go to in just a second, but you know, the reality is that we end up arguing over emotion, not issues. Most of the time, the argument is based in emotion. And the reason is that hurt people hurt people. In fact, the people who need love the most deserve it the least. Come on, how many know that's true? And it doesn't matter. You can apply this to marriage. You can apply it to the marketplace. You can apply it to the Middle East. But if you don't grab a hold of this part of the principle to listen for their heart and perspective, you're never going to get anywhere in conflict resolution. So let's, let's read what the scripture teaches us. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, be quick to what? Listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. I don't think it's an accident that God gave you two ears and only one mouth. Because he says, he's trying to teach us that we probably need to spend twice as much time listening as we are talking. How many of you have ever met someone who, when you're talking to them, you know they're not listening to you because they're already coming up with in their mind what they're going to say in response to you? Some of you are doing that right now. You're like, I, wait, wait a minute, what pastor? Right? You know, you're, it's like you want to interrupt them while they're supposedly listening and go, stop thinking. Stop what you're going to say right now and listen to what I'm saying. Why? Because we want to be heard. And one of the biggest things that are an obstacle to conflict resolution is that we're quick to get angry and we're quick to talk, but we're not good at listening. And if 
The person on the other side of the bed or the person on the other side of the sea or the person on the other side of the the cubicle across the aisle, if they don't feel like that you're hearing them and understanding them, you're never going to get anywhere. And your ability to find compromise, your ability to have compassion, your ability to see things differently is that you've got to step into their shoes a little bit because if you can't step into their shoes, you're never going to understand where they are. Why do you think God sent his son into the world so that he could understand our sin and our pain and our shame and our our anger and our frustration? You see, we've got to listen a little. I love the Chinese Proverbs which says, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. You know, a few, a few weeks ago, we preached a series called Death to Selfie. And in that series, we used a verse in Philippians, and the verse in Philippians said, don't be selfish, but look to the interests of others before you look to your own interests first. And what's interesting about that word, look, in the Greek, is it's a word, skopos, which is where we get our English word microscope. And it means to focus. So what it's saying is, listen, if you're not going to be selfish, and instead you're going to learn to be selfless, if you're going to overcome conflict, you've got to have the ability to stop talking long enough so that you can focus in, even if you've got to dive in and try to discern what is really going on. Because the problem is, is we're caught up in the emotion and we're not seeing where the other person is. And so if we're going to learn to be people of conflict resolution, we've got to learn to listen and hear the heart and perspective of those with whom we have conflict. Come on, y'all with me, say amen. Make the first move, plan a peace conference. What's number three? I got to rewind here. Begin with what's my fault. Listen for their heart and perspective. Let me give you number five. You ready? Here we go. Speak the truth tactfully. Speak the truth tactfully. Now, there's a scripture where we get this. It's Ephesians chapter 4, and it says, we will speak the truth in love. In other words, when you speak the truth, you do it in love. Now, I know some of you are like, well, you know, Pastor Jerry, that's just not me. It's not my personality. I'm just one of those people that says it like it is. I'm real. No, you're rude. (laughs) And you're using your realness to excuse the way you're speaking. If you say it offensively, it will be received defensively. You are never persuasive if you are abrasive. Because here's what happens. People don't remember what you say, they remember how you said it. They don't remember the content, they remember the emotion. And what happens is is we end up building walls rather than bridges because we think that we're called to just speak the truth. And I I hear people say it all the time, well, I just speak the truth. In fact, I had someone come up and they said, Pastor, you need to bring up the talk to the hand thing. And that's what we do, because when we speak the truth, it's like talk to the hand, I'm going to tell you like it is. And now what have I done? Rather than building a bridge, I've built a wall with my words. And what the scripture is trying to teach us is, is that if we'll learn to listen and then we'll learn to when we speak, speak in love. How I many know with kids, some kids you can literally just go, Wick! and they're, like, they're going to be good. 
I'm not going to do anything wrong because they're scared to death, right? Come on, have you had any kids like that? But how many know there are other kids? You got to be like, get down! Get down right now! You know what I found? I found one of my children. I, I thought that, you know, being loud was the way that, to deal with the situation. But I realized later when they got a little older that that didn't work with them. I realized with that child, it was like, you know, I really love you. And I really don't want you to get hurt. It would make me so sad if you got hurt. So I need you to come down from there. And I had to learn how to talk to them in a way that they would receive because I learned that I'm not persuasive when I'm abrasive. And so we've got to learn to speak the truth in love, to speak the truth tactfully. You can speak the truth without so many daggers. In fact, let's go to the next one because the next point will help us to understand this. And the, the, the sixth point is that we need to fix the problem, not the blame. We need to fix the problem, not the blame. Look at what it says in Colossians. It's kind of back to that language and what we say, right? He says, get rid of all anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. What he's basically saying is, listen, if you're going to understand and you're going to get along and you're going to show Christ in, in, in your character, if you're going to solve problems, you can't do it with anger or rage. Here's why. Because when you try to solve a problem with your angry and rageful words, here's what those words mean. It means to intimidate with fear and threats. So you use anger and rage as an intimidation tactic to try to put yourself in a better negotiating position in the conflict resolution. And you'll never see healing, you'll never see compromise if you're using your words as a threat. Don't, don't fix the blame, fix the problem. Or use the word the word malicious behavior. You know what malice means? Malice means to, ins or it means to say things intentionally to hurt. Come on, how many here realize that you can push some people's buttons? How many know that you have some buttons that can be pushed? Have you ever done that? You're in a conversation and you know you want to, that button is right there. It's, it's just right there in reach. And if you just reach out a little bit, you're like, poof, and you got it. And then you're like, well, I might as well go for it. Poof, 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 poof. Come on. Let me know I, should, I should be on video games. I'm awesome. Poof, 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 poof. And what are we doing? We're intentionally hurting. And then, and then he says, slander and dirty language. Don't let that be a part of the conversation either. You know why? Because that's when you insult or belittle. You're just like your mother. And we could go through the list. And now what have we done? We're kind of back to that pride thing where we're elevating, we're diminishing, and we wonder why we struggle. Because here's the point. As long as you attack each other, you won't attack the problem. As long as you attack the emotion and the person, you'll never fix the problem. And, and what the scripture is teaching us is, is literally take the threats, take the stuff off the table. You know, back in the, the, um, the days when we had the Cold War with, with uh, Russia, remember there was the arms race going on and, and we're spying on each other and we're developing weapons. And, but there was one weapon that we didn't use, one weapon that we weren't going to use, and that was the nuclear option, the weapons of mass destruction, WMDs, right? Because if we use those in the, in the attack, in the in the war, right? Everyone died. So what did they do? They took 
WMDs off the table. What I'm saying to you today is if you're going to learn how to bring conflict resolution, you got to take the WMDs off the table. If you're married, take the D word off the table. Because our words, they can speak life or they can speak death. And God's saying, I've called you to reconciliation. You realize that God's called you and I to be people of reconciliation, reconciliation, to love God and to love each other. In fact, he said, he goes, I have given you the ministry of reconciliation to God and to man. So we've got to be, there's no choice. We have to be people of reconciliation. So we make the first move. We plan the peace conference. We, we look at our faults. Start with what, what, what's our fault, right? We go through the process of, of, fi- not, of uh, speaking the truth tactfully and fixing the problem, not the blame. And then we get to the next one. I've got two more. And the seventh one is get help when you need it. I want to bring it back now to 1 Corinthians. When we get to 1 Corinthians, look at what it says. It says, isn't there anyone in the church who's wise enough to help you decide these issues? In other words, here's what he's saying. Sometimes you're going to get to a place of impasse and you're not going to be able to move beyond, so you need to get somebody to help you. That's why you've got to be in a small group. That's why you've got to be in a circle. Because you need someone that can have a, an outside eye to see things differently and freshly. That's why here at Higher Vision, we have a marriage care center. In the marriage care center, you can call up and you can get counseling for your marriage because sometimes you need somebody else to help you see. That's why in our church, we have lots of people that are counselors, licensed counselors, and we'll refer you out to them. We also have Pastor Chip and others who at the church are there if you call in and you need some congregational care and some prayer and some input in your life. Listen, sometimes we need to bring somebody in that can help us. It's kind of like cars. I'm not good with cars. I'm good at driving them. Fast. I feel like I should have been a race car driver, but God had other plans for me. But I love to drive cars, but don't ask me to fix the car. I can change a tire. That's about it. I I think I know where to put the water if it runs low, and where I need to put the oil if it runs low. But any real problem, I have to go to Heroes. Master Smog on the other side of town, he's our Persian uh, ministry pastor. He's honest, he has integrity, he's got a great place. Take all of your stuff there. I'm being paid everything I say. No, not really, I'm just kidding. (laughs) When I have a problem with my car, I have to get help. And there's sometimes in relationships where you need a little bit more. That's why the Bible says in Matthew, remember, it says if you have a conflict, you go to them, and if it doesn't resolve, then you go get someone and you bring them with you. Why? They're talking about the concept of sometimes we need someone to help us move beyond our impasse. So when it comes to conflict resolution, and what Paul's saying is, listen, don't go to the the judge who's not a believer and throw all your stuff out there. Find someone. There's someone who's spiritually mature that can sit down with you guys, can help you talk through these little things. It's amazing to me that people are in a place now where they will have no relationship with someone. Now, now let me stop and say, there are appropriate times to go to court. There are appropriate times to deal with issues and get justice. I understand all that. And let me say, there are times I had someone come up to me last night, um, an issue of abuse in a relationship, 
And there are times where you can try to bring reconciliation, but sometimes you have to say, I'm never going to be in this person's presence again. I have to have a boundary. And so that all of those things, I want you to understand something. The Bible's not saying that there are appropriate ways to deal with situations the right way. But what Paul says is most of the problems are all these little things, and you can't even get beyond the little things because someone said something about you, and you can't get beyond it. When I decided to reconcile with you, because you were not in, you're not, not in relationship with me. You were rebellious, you were a sinner, and yet I chose to reconcile. In fact, I did it through the peace offering. In fact, can I pause that peace offering and share it with you in a minute? I want to give you the last point because it, it, really, it really ties in here. The last point of reconciliation is this. We find it in Corinthians. You got the list, but you got to end with this. Woo! you got to see the big picture. You see, a heart of reconciliation sees the big picture. Look at what the Scripture says. You guys are having problems, but instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat, even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what's he talking about? Here's the point. Some of us are so focused on this world, and we're more concerned about our rights than we are about his reputation. Well, I'm right. And so then we give Jesus a bad name because of the way that we fight for our rights. What did Jesus say? I'm going to make myself of no reputation. Paul even goes on to say, maybe you just need to take the hit. Lose the 500 bucks. We learned what the word, the word division, we learned at the beginning of Corinthians, he said, listen, focus on unity. The word division, here's what it means. It means to rip into pieces so it now is ugly and useless. The garment, that's what that's talking about. And could it be that this world, all they see it's Christians who can't get along. Just look on social media. And we're ugly and we're useless. Instead, here's what Jesus is trying to show us. It's found in Matthew. In Matthew, he says this, Blessed are the, what? Peacemakers. Why? For they'll be called children of God. You want people to see God? You want people to, 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 to realize God's love and His grace? Then you have to be committed to peace. In other words, maybe because you called my kids a name, maybe in the big picture, it's more important. Now, I don't have to be your best friend, but it's more important for me to be reconciled and to handle this the high road than to fight and complain and get on social media and go after each other and give Jesus a bad name. Because it's the big picture. I thought, wait a minute, I thought it was thy kingdom come and thy will be done. But instead, here's what Paul says. You're letting the world and the, the, the God of this world, who always makes it about you. Satan did it in the beginning, in the garden. You, you can eat that fruit. Who is God to tell you that you can't eat the fruit? From the very beginning, it's always about you, to try to make it about you. And so Paul says, listen, 
Don't let the devil lie to you to make it about you. Why don't you make it instead of about your rights? How about his reputation? How about even if you suffer for his name? How about you lose $500? But guess what? Your blessing in heaven will be even more. Because instead, you said, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to make peace. You know what's crazy? Is that there was this major conflict between humanity and God. And what it was, was sin. It was selfishness. Because mankind wants to make it all about them. So what did God do? He sent a peace offering. Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is receive this peace offering. It's the thing that reconciles. It's the thing that brings us together. How do we receive it? We have to have the humility to start with one of the principles we learned. Maybe in this cosmic conflict, maybe something's my fault. So where do we start? Okay, I humble myself. I see your peace offering and I respond by saying, I'm a sinner. And by humbling ourselves, invite Christ to come into our life and the peace offering pays the price for our sin and we're reunited with God and we can walk in peace with God and we can fulfill his purpose in our life and then God says this in the the scripture he goes on to say then so now because I've given you reconciliation I've called you to be people of reconciliation what do we reconcile we reconcile lost people from their father reconcile with one another. It's all summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an old filthy rag. I want when people see me, when people see this church, when people see you, they go, oh, they're the children of God. Those are people of God. Those are Christians. Those are true believers happens when we make life rather than our rights we make it about his reputation